Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Business of Psychology. I am really excited today to talk to you about 15 ways that you can create more flexibility and more passive or semi-passive income in your psychology or therapy practice. And the reason that I'm really keen to make this episode is that I think pretty much every psychologist or therapist I've ever spoken to in psychology business school or the Do More Than Therapy membership or anybody who's come to me for coaching they all want the same thing. We all want to help people without burning out. And I very rarely have a coaching call where the words work-life balance are not mentioned. Because the fact is, most of us turn to private practice when we feel most desperately in need of improving our work-life balance. I know that was certainly the case for me. I really went into private practice because I wasn't able to be the parent that I wanted and needed to be. Uh, while maintaining my NHS role. And I know that that is a a really common story in independent practice. But I also hear from lots of people who are actually thinking about or have even returned to employment, having concluded that the stress of running their private practice just wasn't worth it um, because they didn't find that work-life balance. So I want to think a little bit in this episode about what work-life balance really means and what strategies might be best for you in achieving that work-life balance because it's a really individual thing. Uh, What it means is individual, but also what strategies are going to work best for us is highly, highly individual. And I really resent (laughs) a lot of the advice that I see out there in the business community, which suggests that there is a one-size-fits-all approach to creating flexibility and passive or semi-passive income in your business because that is not true what works for me might not necessarily work for you so I thought it'd be really good to think through all of the strategies I've come across uh, because I've interviewed loads of people who are really successful in developing flexibility in their businesses but they've done it in in wildly different ways so I thought I would sort of sum up all of those different methods of achieving flexibility so that you can have a think about which one is likely to be the best fit for you and you can pursue that in in line with your values as an individual. Okay, so firstly, what is this work-life balance thing and is it actually achievable? Well, uh, yes, I think it's definitely achievable. In fact, I know it's achievable. I think that to an extent, although I'm always working on it, it is something that I've really improved in my own life over the last few years. So I think it's achievable, but with a caveat, I definitely don't think it's achievable to have a good work-life balance in independent practice if you're following the traditional private practice business model where you just see one-to-one clients. And I say that because even if you follow Sally Farrant's pricing strategy, and I really recommend that you do, and I'll link to that podcast episode in the show notes, there are only a finite number of hours in the week. So even if you've got your pricing strategy nailed down, if you're just seeing one-to-one clients, you're going to have to spend quite a few of your hours in front of clients in order to pay your bills. And that makes it really hard to take a break when you need a break. Sick days become quite costly and therefore stressful. 
And every appointment that comes along, if you've got children or somebody that you care for, or you've got your own health concerns, every time you get that letter on your mat with an NHS appointment on it that you've got to get to, that becomes deeply stressful. That was the number one thing that I couldn't handle. And there were some health needs that my daughter had, and I could not keep up with the appointments that I needed to attend for her. Um, alongside my work and it was the same with my son when I was in private practice Um, he had some health concerns that meant we needed to go to regular paediatrician appointments and it was really really difficult to fit that in when my business was mostly one-to-one work so in a nutshell it's stressful um, to follow the traditional independent practice one-to-one model because when you do take a morning off for whatever reason it impacts on your take-home pay and it impacts on your clients as well and on the efficacy of your therapy with them. So stressful. Now we all do define work-life balance differently. As I've just said, you will all have different needs. For some people, a good work-life balance might mean only working two days a week. That's what their life requires right now. For others, it might mean working five days a week, but never ever working in the evenings or weekends. And I personally think of my work-life balance as the balance between living my professional values and feeling fulfilled professionally and also living my personal values, my values as a parent and as a member of my family. Um, So a good week for me is one where I don't have to make too many painful compromises between those. But what it means to you will depend entirely on your preferences, your obligations and your commitments. But whoever you are and whatever your work-life balance looks like, flexibility in your work is really key to achieving whatever working pattern you desire. So you will have seen me writing and talking a lot recently about creating online courses and how courses can help you to develop some passive income. And one of the benefits of courses is, is that they can continue to bring money into your practice even when you can't physically be there. And that is how I have personally brought flexibility into my working life, alongside a couple of other things. However, I feel it's really important to make it clear that there are actually lots of different business models that you can use to create that elusive work-life balance. And it's really important to pick the one that best suits your definition of work-life balance and the way that you like to work. Because forcing yourself into doing something like creating courses, for example, if the thought of that makes you want to die of boredom, is really not going to work for you. So in this podcast episode, I'm going to run through some of the business models that can bring you flexibility so that you can then work out which one is most likely to help you create the life that feels balanced. All right, so the first model uh, that you will have heard me talk about before in this podcast is a straightforward psychology or therapy practice with associates. Um, That does what it says on the tin, but we've had a couple of really good examples of this on this podcast. So do go back and listen to my podcast episodes with Melanie Lee and Shavnam Berry Khan, who've both developed successful associate-based practices that have allowed them to step back a little bit from the clinical work themselves while still bringing that money into the practice. So I will link to both of those episodes in the show notes. Do go and check those out for more information on that. The second business model that can work for you is developing physical resources. 
For a good example of this, take a look at some of the big hitters out there, like the School of Life, who I'll link to in the show notes. They've got a huge amount of stuff available to buy for professionals and clients. Another really good one to have a look at is Carolyn Spring, because she develops really useful trauma resources, both digital and physical, and again, those are both for professional and personal use. So those are really nice examples of creating physical resources that can bring money into your private practice without you necessarily needing to do lots of one-to-one work. The third business model you might want to think about is the consultancy model. And for a good example of a psychologist using a consultancy model, do go back and listen to or read my podcast episode with Susie Ballantyne, who does consultancy for government and businesses. Really, really interesting podcast episode, but also shows how we can use our expertise in a slightly different way to make a big impact on organisations and even the government. Um, So really great way of reaching more people, but also a great way of working in a a different way where you're still using your skills, um, but you're reaching more than one person at a time. So it can give you a bit more flexibility in the way that you work. The fourth business model that you might want to consider is authorship. So on their own, books very rarely make their authors a lot of money. However, they can keep a steady stream of income coming into your practice and are a great authority builder to combine with other options in this list. So you can check out our episodes on self-publishing a book with expert Tim Lewis for some practical guidance, including weighing up whether to go traditional or self-publish. And also the episodes with Dave Lee, Lucy Russell, and uh, Amy Iziki will provide some really good inspiration if you're thinking that it might suit you to do some writing and add a book into your practice. This is one that I'm working on adding in at the moment as well. So I will have some upcoming episodes on how that's going and what that looks like for me. So the fifth business model that you might want to think about um, introducing into your practice is therapy or coaching for teams or groups. Now, this is still a big time commitment, as you know. Um, I'm sure that a lot of you will have experience of running groups either in the NHS or privately. So it is still a big time commitment, but you might be able to reduce your therapy hours by setting up a group. Uh, For a good example of how this can work in private practice, you can listen to my episode with Christine Hamilton, who's done lots of organisational psychology work with teams and and groups within organisations, which can be a really great way to put together a group. So have a listen to that one if you're interested in bringing more group work into your practice. Now, another business model that you may or may not have thought of um, for your practice, it can be the membership model. And this is a model where people pay you, usually monthly or annually, for ongoing access to something that they find valuable. This could be courses or masterclasses that you produce, it could be coaching calls with you, a community of like-minded people, or most commonly, it's a combination of several of those things. So as you might know, I run the Do More Than Therapy membership, which is a monthly membership for psychologists and therapists who want to reach more people and make more impact on mental health without burning themselves out. And probably that's you if you've, if you've listened to this episode so far. Um, so within that, I offer a community, weekly coaching calls and a library of masterclasses and courses teaching people the skills they need to get passive and semi-passive income projects like online courses, books and podcasts off the ground and 
crucially, market them effectively. So for more information on how that membership world could work for you, getting set up with the tech and all of that, I would check out the Membership Geeks. I've linked to them in the show notes. They have a great podcast and a great membership, which really takes the terror out of the whole setting up a membership process, which I certainly found quite intimidating at the beginning. Um, But it can be a really rewarding way to work, especially if you value that ongoing um, contact with your students. It can work better than a standalone online course if it's something where you really want to support people on an ongoing basis through their learning and through their implementation. So I love the membership model. It's brilliant for bringing recurring revenue into your practice that gives you that flexibility that we've been talking about. But I also find it a really rewarding way to work. Um, So do check out the Membership Geeks if you're interested in that. Um, And also, if you're interested in learning from me, a quick plug for the Do Modern Therapy membership. Do come and have a look at that too. So another business model that you can utilise to bring um, more flexibility into your practice is actually trying to get paid for the content that you create. So we've talked a lot on this podcast about creating blogs, podcasts, um, high quality social media videos, YouTube videos, and all of those take time to create. They all have huge benefits in building your authority and helping you to build your audience, but you can actually get paid to create them if they're valuable enough. There are platforms out there now like Patreon and Ko-fi, which I've linked to in the show notes, and both of those allow you to put podcasts, blogs, and other content behind a paywall or accept voluntary contributions from those who are grateful for your work. Now, it's unlikely that this is gonna become a main source of income for you. But you can often create enough revenue to keep a passion project going or to give you that little bit of wiggle room in your practice while you create something bigger in the background. So I I do recommend that if you are not monetizing your um, content creation at the moment, so you're not necessarily leading people towards a membership, an online course, or a book that you're trying to promote in your content, then it could be a good idea to set up Patreon or Ko-fi to allow people to compensate you a bit for all that time and effort that you're putting in. Another strand you might want to add into your business might be teaching or lecturing. I've talked before on this podcast about how having that affiliation with a university or working for another training establishment is great for building your authority, but it's also a great way to bring in a bit of income, um, which allows you to take a bit of a break from one-to-one work and can be a bit more flexible, again, than, um, than filling up a whole clinic one day a week. So a lot of uh, teaching and lecturing posts are part-time, one or two days a week. It might be worth looking into if there's any of those that would interest you in your local area. Uh, The ninth business model, um, again, is something you might want to incorporate into your work, is a research post. There are often research assistant posts going at universities, um, or depending on your experience and your background, you might want to look at postdoc roles. Uh, which could allow you to kind of flex your research muscles, feel um, back integrated into the academic world, get some work published, 
um, while also having a bit more flexibility in the way that you work. I think it's well worth looking into those if that's an interest of yours, because although we've got a podcast episode on publishing research within private practice, it can definitely be done. We all know it's a bit easier with the backing of a university. So if that interests you and you'd like to add that way of working, do check out research posts uh, within universities. Another way of working which could interest you and might bring some extra flexibility into your practice could be creating something like software or even an application, an app for professionals or clients. Now, I haven't personally done this. Um, It seems like a world that we should be looking at uh, getting into as more and more of us are running our lives through the apps on our phones in particular. Um, But I have interviewed on this podcast a psychologist who is doing great work in this area. So do go and have a look at what Asha Patel is doing with Innovating Minds and Edupod for inspiration. I've linked to her Edupod site in the show notes because she's created some awesome software to help educators to embed her model of um, well-being within schools into their school environment. And I think it's really exciting and inspirational and we all need to be thinking about how we could use technology to support our client group, whoever that is, um, going forward. So do have a look at that and do have a think about whether this could be something in the long term that you'd like to add into your practice. I know Chris Irons has also got a Compassionate Mind app off the ground recently, so it can definitely be done and it's something that we should be thinking about, I think, going forward. So number 11 is a type of online course. So I'm back to my familiar ground of talking about online courses here, but this is a particular type of online course and I'm talking here about live training for professionals. So for example, Psychology Business School um, is my online course for professionals looking to set up in independent practice. And that involves teaching weekly live classes, creating resources and running live coaching calls every week to help people as they get their practice off the ground. And other training for professionals can look like one-off workshops or even team or group supervision. Um, Dr Lindsay McMillan is a Do More Than Therapy member who's just started offering training and consultation to professionals in her specialist subject of gender disappointment. It's often a bit easier to create training for professionals than it is for your client group while you're building your audience and authority in your specialism because you likely already have people in your network who would benefit from your expertise and they already know what your qualifications mean and they know that you're good at what you do. So if you're just dipping your toe into trying to build a bit more flexibility in your work life, then online courses, particularly live training for professionals, can be a really good jumping off point. In fact, I would usually recommend if money is an issue and it's it's difficult to uh, dedicate a lot of time to, to start with in developing an online course, I definitely recommend live training for professionals as the best and easiest route to get you started. Leading on from that, you might want to consider a train the trainer or a franchise model. If you've created something like some really awesome live training or recorded training that other people might want to pass on to their teams or wider organisations, or indeed a model that is so useful that the whole world really needs to get trained in it, you could consider training other people to deliver your training. 
And this could be a great way of expanding the reach of your ideas without you having to spend too much of your time physically delivering training. Because I know not everybody gets excited about delivering an online course or delivering training. And this, this works best when you've developed your training package and you've got good evidence that it's effective. So if you're thinking about doing this in the long term, I'd make sure that you're using some kind of outcome measurement when you deliver your training live so that you build up that bank of evidence that your stuff works. So mental health first aid is a really good, well-known example of, of a training package that has been really successfully franchised out. So do go and have a look at what they're doing and how that model works for them. But there are loads of them out there that you could check out, but that's just one that springs to mind. So business model number 13 is another type of online course and very similar. This is live workshops for a client group. So once you know your specialism really well and you've spent plenty of time getting to know your ideal client group, you're then in a good position to develop an offer that allows you to help several people all at once. And this will look different depending on your client group, but could be a really rewarding way of working as you can charge a relatively low cost to each participant, but still earn well for your time. This can allow you to reduce your therapy hours significantly once you find a workshop that works really well for your client group. And following on from that, you might want to consider pre-recording an online course for a client group. Um, we've got some great examples of this within our community. So Marianne Trent, uh, Lucy Russell, uh, Chris Irons, and myself, in fact, we all have examples of um, online courses uh, for a client group that are pre-recorded that you can check out. And they're really a great way of helping people who've either previously had therapy and are embedding their existing skills into their lives, or people who don't really need therapy just yet, but they're looking for self-improvement. This kind of course can also work well to teach basic psychoeducation or stabilization techniques ahead of a course of therapy. So we're gonna have a, an upcoming episode on the pros and cons of live online courses versus pre-recorded online courses. So don't worry, we've got some in-depth content coming up for you on that subject because it can be a difficult decision to make. Um, but if the thought of delivering live workshops forever feels a bit draining to you, it's good to know that there are examples of pre-recorded workshops that work really well for client groups. So do have a look at those examples. I've linked to them in the show notes and start thinking about whether a pre-recorded online course might work well for your client group. Okay, so now we are on to the final um, business model you might want to consider to build some flexibility into your practice. And this is pre-recorded online courses for professionals. So for this, think things like PsychWire, uh, which I've linked to in the show notes, or the courses that I produce actually in the Do More Than Therapy membership, such as our brand new Roadmap to a Successful Online Course. It's important to think through carefully whether a topic or a client group are going to work better with live interaction or pre-recorded materials. Um, and like I said, we're going to have a podcast episode coming up on this and it's a real focus topic in the roadmap to a successful online course for that reason. But an obvious advantage um, with pre-recorded courses, whether that is um, for professionals or whether it is for a client group, is that you can put as many people on them as you want and people can literally join them with no input from you. So once they're working well, they can bring you regular income through the year, which obviously 
is the key to having that flexibility, being able to take time off when you need it, that this whole episode has been about. So I really hope that that's given you some ideas for ways that you can make your practice more sustainable and more flexible going forward. If online courses live or pre-recorded for professionals or clients seem like a good fit for your practice and your values, then you can download my free quick start guide to creating an online course now. And once you have the guide, you'll be automatically added to the waiting list for a free workshop that I'm running on February the 15th in 2022 to help you start outlining the content for your online course. So I promise it is possible to get that flexibility that you crave in your life. And I'd love to hold your hand through the process if you're considering the online course route. Um, But do let me know, get in touch on social media. I'm at Rosie Gilderthorpe on Instagram, or you can always find me in the free Do Modern Therapy Facebook community group. And do let me know what business models you're adopting in your practice to try and give you a bit more flexibility and which ones seem like the best fit for you and your values. Do you dream of creating an online course? Are you desperate to reach more people, but skeptical that you can actually make it work? The truth is a lot of online courses made by psychologists and therapists do fail, but that isn't because the content is bad. It's because the marketing strategy sucks. And the truth is your marketing isn't a separate thing. Talking to the community that you want to serve should be part of the development of the course getting to know them, giving them free resources and building relationships while you build your course in the background is the key to success that most psychologists and therapists miss. Well, not you, (laughs) because you can download my free course creation guide and get yourself on the right track to creating a course that people actually want and need. The guide talks you through the first essential steps that you must take when planning your course so you can avoid the expensive mistakes that I see so many well-intentioned people making. Get yours at psychologybusinessschool.com now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.